Hello, I'm Justin Wheeler, and welcome to Nonstop Nonprofit. Last week, we talked to Jason Russell, co-founder of Invisible Children. It's a rad episode. Go listen if you haven't already. And this week, we're talking to another Invisible Children alum who's taken those key experiences and turned them into a voice for nonprofits. Ashley Gutierrez is the award-winning filmmaker behind Cliffco, an impact storytelling group she founded with fellow Invisible Children colleagues. Their focus on the intersection of social justice, mental health, and the stories behind it have led them to be the pioneers in the practice of ethical storytelling. As I talked with Ashley, her people-first approach became obvious. The way she tells stories pulls from both her experience in the nonprofit sector and the training she's been through to become a therapist. This is the expertise that draws in audiences and moves them to act. Listen in as Ashley and I recall seeing the world respond to Coney 2012's viral video. We also talk about the surprising healing we witness even in the midst of great oppression and injustice and discuss why nonprofits' media operating budgets are holding them back from creating greater impact. Let's dive in. The best thing that we can do is just raise as much money as possible and then give it to the people around the world. We set out to raise $1,000 to help this person, um, but we had no idea how to fundraise. Then you're doing it wrong. Okay. That is unacceptable and that is not the way to run a board. Who is this girl and what's the thought process when you're like, do I include a nickel? And it snowballs like any peer-to-peer campaign. The more people that view this content, the further and further it grows. The community raised $55 million in 2019. The more nonprofits can give their donor base that experience of the impact that's being made on the ground level, there's nothing else you have to give someone. This is Nonstop Nonprofit. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for joining the podcast. It's so good to reconnect. It's been, I think, over 10 years. So I'm so excited to catch up and learn more about what you're doing uh, with video and the nonprofit world. Yeah, thanks for having me, Justin. It's good to see you and be able to connect this way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's get started since uh, we both uh, worked at Invisible Children different times. So we have that sort of common thread. I'd love to uh, love if you could share just like what what got you into the nonprofit community to begin with, and and how did how did video become such an important part of of what you do today? Yeah. So actually, what got me into the nonprofit community was watching a documentary film, Invisible Children's first documentary when I was in college, and so I had a very you know real life-changing moment where I was studying broadcast journalism, creating stories for for news. And I knew after watching Invisible Children's Film that I wanted to tell stories in a different way for a different purpose. Now I've been in the nonprofit media space for a little over 10 years. And as you mentioned, you know, you and I both got our start at Invisible Children, which, you know, it at one point was like a leading example of like a youth oriented action oriented movement like really used media and i i worked there for almost 6 years creating short and long form films and learned learned a lot saw success saw saw failures too and i just reached a point where thinking about what else I wanted to do, I just saw so many organizations, people that were doing really, really amazing work and adding so much value 
to the world and so much hope. And it's like, how can I take what I've learned at Invisible Children about story, about filmmaking communication and help other other organizations tell their story in an effective way? I left Invisible Children in 2014 and Cliffco was started from that question. Like, how can we help more organizations tell stories? And it bursts through friendship, fellow team of creatives from Invisible Children, friendship, collaboration, and just a belief that stories can really connect and move people across culture, language. And we kind of create from that core belief in the power of story. That's awesome. That's amazing. I, I'm excited to come back to Cliffco and talk a little bit more about the company and types of uh, projects that you guys work on. Before I get into that, I'd love to know, I mean, so many nonprofits that that we work with and have come in contact with, they, the question I feel that they always ask is how do we mm-hmm. how do we inspire young donors, people to to give? And and so when you were in college, that inspired you once you saw the the film to actually do something. What was it that that got you to move? Being told what I could do and that my my voice, like my my presence, my participation could actually affect change. Because learning about like an overwhelming humanitarian crisis, it felt like physically sobering, overwhelming. I'm like, oh my gosh, what can I possibly do here with my very limited resources? And Invisible Children in that film just made it very clear um, of how I could participate and how I could affect change. So that was, I immediately joined a club on my campus yeah. university and got involved. That's awesome. It's <clears throat> very similar for me. It was a little bit earlier, it was 2005, and it was the second screening of The Rough Cut. And so uh, it was It was Laren and Katie Bradle. Uh, they came to our, our university, and I was a sophomore in college at the time, and they they shared the film, and I felt like I felt like I just got punched in the face after it. It was one of the most insane thing. I had I had no idea there were such thing as child soldiers, and the way the story was told, uh, I, I was used to like growing up like hearing stories not told in a way that actually. I mean, I hated documentaries. I I, mm-hmm. I couldn't stand them you know, before, and this was just it was so well put together. It, like it held my attention. Then at at the end. I was just like, I have to do something. So the next day I looked up on Invisible Children's site. I was like, where are they showing this thing next? And it was about an hour away. And uh, a friend of mine, we drove to the screening. Bobby was at that one filming it or, or uh, speaking at it. And then we asked Bobby, what can we do to help? And this was before the nonprofit existed. It was it was just the three filmmakers, you know, getting the story out. He told us, he said, go to Uganda. And I was like, what? And I had never been out of the country at, at this point in my life. <laughs> and uh, it was a few weeks before before summer. And we went back to our dorm that night, bought tickets to Uganda and spent the summer in, in Uganda. So that was my introduction, but totally rest. They just like do something, right? That That's yeah. really what it was. It was just this idea that like, if you care and you're passionate, you got to do it. And I think this is where a lot of nonprofits get it wrong is they make it so hard for people to get involved, especially young people who have so so much they actually can do. Uh, even in, in a pandemic age behind the screen, they can do so much. They just have to be inspired first. And I think that's important. So that's why I want to jump. Actually, before I jump into Cliff, I have one more question for you. You were at Invisible from 2009 to 2014. 
Mm -hmm. uh, which means you were there during a very interesting time, uh, Kony 2012. So we're, I know you split between Uganda and San Diego. So were you in the office for the the craziness of Kony 2012? And, and could you talk a little bit about that experience? I was actually living in Uganda at the time that Kony uh -huh. 2012 was released in the aftermath. That film, that campaign was a long time in creation. So I was a part of the conversations and the lead up to it. But when it was actually released, I was living in Uganda at the time. So my main role in that was to document like what what was happening in the region in East Africa and talk with community leaders and government officials and representatives, people that have been affected by by the conflict and help tell that side of the story. How was it to be in Uganda at the time of Kony 2012? And let's let's say fast forward six days after Kony 2012 when the video had gotten 100 million views. Uh, you know, at the time, Invisible Children had hundreds of employees, Ugandan employees uh, working in Uganda. What were their reaction to just sort of the the impact this film was was making and, and having in, in the U.S.? What was it like to be in Uganda with the team on the ground during that time? There was waves, <laughs> waves of different types of energy. But what I remember was a just a sense of pride and an encouragement that finally people were hearing and were understanding and were learning about something that had affected communities for, for decades. And it was a point of care and attention. And so there was a lot of, a lot of like groundswell and, and good energy around that. And then alternatively, when the narrative started to, to shift, it became really hard. The energy was still there. Like people wanted to talk and speak truthfully about their experiences and what was happening because the narrative and the focal point just started to, to shift during that campaign. So there was pain in that too. And it, it got really tough. Wow. We're actually going to bring Jason onto the podcast in a few days and, and to talk a little bit more about what it was like for him. We want, we're going to talk about mental health. And so we're, we're looking forward to that conversation. But uh, anytime I get a chance to talk with individuals that were a part of, of the campaign, it's always great to learn about that experience. And so I want to transition to your company that you started, Cliffco. Obviously, you spent you know many years at Invisible Children, saw the power that film had on I mean, we could say millions of people uh, around the world. What led you and what inspired you to start your own media production company? And are you working with only nonprofits today? So we are working only with, with nonprofit organizations. And it really, I mentioned, it just bursts out of that question. Like, how can we help organizations tell stories more effectively? And it really came with like a belief a belief and like we've we've been through some really successful campaigns and some really tough things and we want to apply some of the ideas and some of the things we know work to to other organizations so me and a group of creatives we all transitioned out of invisible children at separate times and found each other doing freelance work hmm. for a variety of clients 
And we missed working with one another. We missed that collaborative spirit and like iron sharpening iron where creative ideas are birthed. And so we moved into a shared office space. We started collaborating on projects and we started building a portfolio together and Clipco kind of just grew through like truly friendship and collaboration and wanting to to do meaningful and impactful work. Wow, that's that's really cool to hear. And do you have you found it so since you work exclusively with nonprofits, you know, I th- I feel like we're just starting to kind of turn the page on uh, convincing nonprofits that like their digital presence should should be amazing and they should have great websites and have a strong, you know, strat- brand strategy. Where do you feel like the needle is at as it relates to nonprofits and video? Like the importance of video as as a part of your your programming, as a part of, of your overall mission and communication, like what's what's your take on how it's perceived today in the nonprofit community? Often times, I feel like nonprofits are held to a really tough standard. Like I I really admire Dan Pilata's work and his when he talks about marketing in the way like nonprofits basically the standard that they're held to. And I know that a lot of times media and and marketing if for some organizations with with not a whole lot of operating budget, it's like a luxury. And it's 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 the first thing to get to get cut. It's a major, major investment for a lot of organizations. And when we talk with folks, it's a lot of learning about how they communicate with their audience, where they're at, how their audience engages with them, because um, it is it is important. And I would love for there to be like an industry shift where video is more commonplace and not looked at as maybe like such of a heavy, heavy, like one time investment, but more of a central a central tool and mechanism in, in their communication strategy. And I think that shift is like it's it's happening, but um, we work with a lot of smaller organizations to where it's you know maybe once like one time a year or once every other year where they're able to do a film. Got it. So as as someone that has told a lot of stories and is a very good storyteller uh, and has told a lot of different stories for nonprofits, how, how does a nonprofit know when they have a story to tell that should be? through video medium? What, what are your thoughts around that? Or help, how do you help nonprofits kind of guide them to create that story that should be told through video? I would say like to use yourself as a tuning fork. As someone who's working with for an organization that assumedly like you really believe in the purpose and, and the need for the work, like does this story strike a chord with you? And if it does, then why? Why does it strike a chord? And so using, you know, starting with just internally, like, does this feel like something that could be worth exploring? And, you know, then it's, is video the the best way to tell the story? Because there's so many, there's so many ways that you can approach storytelling. So it's like, how, how do we want to think about this message? How might we communicate this? Like, what are our options? You know, I also like something that is a part of our work. We do a lot of work with human human trafficking organizations, and we also think about like the reciprocal relationships in creating nonprofit films. And oftentimes, like 
the road to hell can be paved with good intentions. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to stop and examine like how you tell stories and like the nature of of the story that you're wanting to to tell and consider the people involved in that process and and the possibilities for re-traumatization or or exploitation. And so just like we take a more sensitive, like tentative approach in navigating like just because it feels like, uh, oh my gosh, we have to tell this story, like hmm. kind of slow our partners to a pause and really think about like representation and just like the power dynamics that can come in with with some of these filmmaking opportunities. Yeah, that was a constant, I feel like, battle we had when I was at Liber- Liberty of North Korea. We were constantly helping North Korean refugees. And during part of the process was like this intake to better understand where they came from, what their life was like in North Korea. And there was oftentimes just, it was like this, the story is like, the story has to be told, but the individual, you know, be like, no, I don't want to tell my story. Like, I just want to go live a normal life. And you have to respect that. That typically creates tension between like the programming team and the fundraising team. So do you find yourself kind of in the middle there where you're often trying to understand, like, how do we tell this good story? How do we respect, you know, the program team and obviously the individuals that are being served by the organization? How much is that a problem for you or how, how many, how often are you dealing with that sort of conflict in, in organizations? Not so much. Like we have really amazing partners that, that care really about like approaching, especially like cross-cultural storytelling, like filmmaking and yeah. in a really, really sensitive and, and mindful way. And we we kind of only partner with with folks who get that. The team and I talk about like what's called like ethical storytelling. And that's something that's in constant, it's like lofty and in constant like evolution, but it means we attend to things like power dynamics, like the integrity of of a story. And like we put people first before the story. And we think about the the folks that we get to meet and we get to sit with and learn their story and really, really bring them collaboratively into the process. And like, mm. how do you want your story told? Like maybe the, the organization or partner has a certain metrics and things, but we're like really focused on the people whose story we get to tell. And that's kind of just something that we we stick to in, in filmmaking and constantly refining and learning like how to yeah. how to evolve that. Wow. What's one of your favorite projects you've worked on or one of the one of your favorite videos that you and the team have made that you're really proud of? Oof, there's not many. So I really love the films that are highly collaborative and uh-huh. where the people that we get the honor of, of telling the story where they're like really involved in mm. in the creative process. And I love the bi-directional relationship where it's like our partner organization watches it and like, yes, this is so, this is exactly what we wanted. And then also where if there's a survivor that we're working with of, of trafficking or war or genocide, whatever their, some of their origin is, where they're able to watch the film and be like, oh my gosh, that is me. Or that brings me back to this place where I'm I'm really proud to see my story in this way. So it's kind of like the both and those projects are my favorite. And actually right now we're working on a film for an organization as part of their end of the year campaign. And it's 
uh, survivor centric. So mm-hmm. it's with a young woman who was sold in domestic servitude at five years old um, wow. and spent over a decade in um, experiencing slavery and trafficking. And it's all first first person. So mm-hmm. she's creating the campaign. She's creating the call to action. And it's honestly like one of my favorite projects also just navigating it in, in a pandemic. <laughs> um, so it's a lot of a lot of Skypes, just different that our creative scope has changed over the last few months and how we approach that even, but it's become a really special project. Yeah, I, I can imagine it's become, it has become more challenging uh, with obvious reasons, but you're still able, you still have found ways to continue the work and to continue to tell, to tell the stories and have been able to sort of innovate on top of, of your guys' business model and uh, are still able to tell stories regardless of, you know, being on site and so forth. Yeah. Cool. It's good to hear. You know, something you said struck a chord and, and I imagine that since you're working in the nonprofit space, right, you're, you're typically working on stories that are highly impactful and emotional. So how is it, is it hard to be in that sort of work day in and day out, you know, whether it's behind the camera, behind the screen, telling stories that are, you know, are just hard to listen to, or obviously like there, it ideally ends with hope and, and where the organization is trying to accomplish, but does that take a toll on you ever just being immersed in such heaviness? Yeah, I think when I first really engaging in this work, when I started with Invisible Children, it was like my worldview got completely popped <laughs> and shattered. Like you were mentioning, you saw that film and you didn't even know child soldiers existed. And neither did I. And so at the start, like I was just exposed to a lot that I did not know happened in the world. And that was really, really heavy to witness, to hear. But I'll say that not in a way where now that I've been I don't feel desensitized because I still get emotional and feel really deeply. But there's not, at this point, there's not a whole lot that surprises hmm. me in yeah. terms of human human nature and also like possi- possibilities. So hmm. I think what is helpful and what, what kind of keeps me in it is really, really, really having witness to healing and to restoration and for there to be possibilities even even amidst like great injustice and an oppression. Like and that just comes like I've seen I've seen the both, but if I only ever heard like that first part of the story, it'd be really hard. But I know that there's other possibilities. So that kind of keeps me keeps me in it. Um, Got it. Why you know I mean think about like a video that nonprofits make and use. Oftentimes it's tied to fundraising campaigns or something, you know, very specific. Mm-hmm. And I don't see a lot of videos that are are made for brand awareness or or at least just like supporters cultivation or just as a medium to in, to engage with with their supporters. And so I'd be curious to kind of hear like what sort of is your guys' approach with with filmmaking? Is it to get the sort of user at the at the end of it to take a specific action like donating, or is it something different? And, and I know that you work with so many different clients, that's probably spread out. So maybe the better better way to ask this question is, why should some a nonprofit make a video? Like, what is the thing that 
the video we're trying to accomplish with, with video that organizations should prioritize and, and should really consider this medium. You kind of caught yourself in your question. Like it totally, it, it, it totally depends on the nonprofit and their use. But I think why, like just thinking about like why video, it's a way to show rather than tell. And both are vitally important. But I think if the end goal is donating, it's a way to take your audience to a place, whether that's tangible or intangible, um, in, in a way that they might not have access to themselves. So I'll speak specifically for the human trafficking organizations we work for. There are people on the ground who are like the hands and feet of those efforts. And um, videos are a way to show the, the impact and the work that is able to be done because someone decides to give. And so the, the supporter is a vital part of that team. And so it's a way to, to make people feel a part of that team, to bring value. And I think about like the emotional impact as well. And I like to think about like the Latin origin of the word emote is to to move, like to agitate, to mm. stir. Yeah. And like a good story, a good video can be hugely compelling for the audience to want to do something. So yeah, I think it's a way to transport your your audience at a high level, whatever yeah. that may mean. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that's that's what moved us, right? When we saw the, the rough cut of, of Invisible Children and a, a good story in general moves people to action mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be financial, but it can, it can mean so many different things. And so I, I love that. And I'm wondering if over, over the last several years, as technology has progressed, I feel like also video format has changed or has at least expanded. And so what I'm thinking currently within, within the, this pandemic age that we're living in, is a lot of nonprofits have looked to do live streaming, whether it's like live streaming an event, live streaming impact, some form or fashion of that. And so have you guys experimented with that at all? Have you worked with clients and helped on the live streaming side of events or video projects or anything uh, in that realm? Oh, we haven't yet, but you're absolutely right with like the innovation and how people are, are shifting and really finding like beautiful creative solves. Um, and ways of connection. So we, we've not done any live streaming or anything yet. We were talking, just throwing ideas at a, at a wall with one of our partners about how to move their you know, in-person gala, which for some organizations, like the, they'll have a gala where they raise the majority of their funds in, in, in one night. And that's yeah. a big shift for a lot of folks. And so we've thrown ideas at the wall about what, what those digital, like what a digital gala could be, but haven't actualized on any creative yet. Got it. So we, as you know, fundraise works with nonprofits all, all over the country. And oftentimes, you know, we hear uh, and get requests for video work. So how can people get in touch? Cliff Co., what's the best way for them to reach out to you or the company to to maybe inquire about working with your guys' company? Yeah, you can email hello at cliff, C-L-I-F-F dot co, C-O. It's a way to reach out and say hey. Awesome. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for spending the time with us today to talk about uh, your work, the importance of video, uh, and just your experience in the nonprofit community. We really appreciate it and look forward to sharing it with our listeners here shortly. So thanks for your time.
Thank you, Justin. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nonstop Nonprofit. This podcast is brought to you by your friends at Fundraise, nonprofit fundraising software built by nonprofit people. If you'd like to continue the conversation, find me on LinkedIn or text me at 562-242-8160. And don't forget to get your next episode the second it hits the internets. Go to nonstopnonprofitpodcast.com and sign up for email notifications today. See you next time.